Rumble stage is over and we are approaching best of fives, JNT. We got this week, we have to talk about why GE2 and T1 are maybe struggling a little bit, both of them undefeated in group stage, losing to some teams they probably shouldn't in the Rumble stage. JNT and I will get to why we think they're struggling. And then the discussion of, well, is MSI already success for EG? Because making it to semis is not too bad we'll get into that and then mark z inspired uh topic for those that missed it mark z came out with a video today about a possible format change for msi next year last week we talked about msi changes i think mark hit the nail on the head with this one so jnt will get into that and maybe add a couple of ideas of our own if we have them this is episode 86 of the clown fiesta podcast with blue jay and jnt 250 jnt where are we starting I mean, yeah, the Rumble stage just happened. Dude, the Rumble stage is just so much better than whatever this group stage we had beforehand was. Like, I know we were kind of shitting on it last week, and I think, you know, rightfully so, because a lot of the community wasn't too really pleased with group stage and seeing a lot of dead games and major regions beat up on major regions. But, like, when the first game of Rumble stage happened and they played the cinematic at the beginning and they had, like, the hype draft music and it was T1 versus G2 and it was, like, it was a game that T1 pulled out you know, early G2 made a huge comeback with this insane team fight comp. It, it, like it was just so much better all around. Like it just felt, it felt natural. It felt like an international tournament here. And the thing is we said, I'm pretty sure we said last week, like we expect it to get better once rumble stage happens. And even though, yes, we expect that you can never really know for sure that that's going to happen. And obviously it definitely delivered with there being upsets and whatnot. And the group being well, interesting until the very last game. I think it was only like, T1 versus RNG, I think, was the very last game where, like, the game stopped mattering, which is pretty good, right? I think that was the case. Yeah, was RNG... Did the last game matter? I don't remember. Was RNG T1 the last game? I thought it was. Yeah, okay. I just didn't remember if G2EG was... That was either the last or the second to last game. And I know that yeah, one did G2... matter, because if EG yeah, would have yeah, won, yeah. they would have finished third. Yeah, no, I think that was the second last one. Don't quote me on that, but I think I'm it was not the sure either. last one. Anyways, let's talk about the teams individually. I don't really care if we go in, in any particular order uh, or if we just talk about all the teams, but I guess we should probably start with um, RNG, seeing as they did finish number one. And I, I mean, okay, maybe they weren't supposed to finish number one, but it's not like it's a big surprise them finishing number one, or is it? Yeah, I don't think it's surprising at all. The main thing that I took away from the Rumble stage for RNG is they look like the most consistent team. Because I think yeah, we saw... I, I, let me reword. Can I reword? It's, I shouldn't say... Uh, the way I word it is pretty bad. It, we shouldn't be surprised about RNG's performance. It's more surprised that T1 wasn't matching RNG's performance. Is that a better way to put it? Yeah, and I also think the fact that G2, they got off to this huge lead, looked like they were going to be actually the ones topping the Rumble stage with the 4-0 start. And then they kind of crashed and burned, dropped to 4-5, and did win their last game to ultimately finish 5-5. Five and five. But it felt like RNG... While they never felt like this huge dominant force like we saw out of T1 in the group stage and G2 at the start of the Rumble stage, it was just like RNG's playing well. They're beating pretty much everybody. They lost one game to G2. They lost one game to T1. Like You beat all the teams that are equal or below you at least once and in the most case twice. And it just felt like RNG was about where they deserved to be. You know, They probably should have lost that one game to Saigon Buffalo where Saigon kind of threw like a huge like 8k gold lead to them after kind of overextending in the enemy base and they probably should have been seven and three and they probably should have tie broke t1 for the number one seed but i mean them finishing number one mainly i think is a byproduct of t1 struggling and g2 struggling but i don't think it's wrong to say like oh rng like they don't look like a first place team because like dude this team looks yeah. really good like 
let's not like dude look at gala like that guy looks like the best 80 in the world right now he's absolutely insane if i had to peg best player at the tournament so far it'd probably be gala um i wouldn't have Hu too far behind either i remember i was really high on Hu last year both at msi and at worlds when he was still a top laner and him roll swapping back to mid lane he feels like it feels like his game impact on RNG is almost exactly the same, where he has this huge champion pool, can play whatever he wants, but also has a very huge map impact for a laner, and he can do that much easier now, being back in the mid lane on RNG. Yeah, I don't know where to fall with Jahu. Not because, like, I think he's amazing, let me just say that. The reason why I say I don't know where to fall is because I don't know where the community perception lies with him. I feel like he should be talked about more, but at the same time, I also feel like the community recognizes that this is one of the greatest players in the game right now. So it's like, I go back and forth. It's like, is this guy underrated or not underrated? And I, I don't really know where to, where to where that falls. But I agree, he is playing out of his mind right now. And the thing is, he does that consistently. And that's why I'm. there's maybe an argument that this guy's underrated. Because every international tournament, this guy shows up. And he's doing it in multiple roles. <laughs> so, yeah, can't say enough about him. He's He's been great. Yeah, and I, I just like I said before, maybe RNG should have lost that game to Saigon, and then they're seven and three, and they're playing T one for a tiebreaker for first place. But I mean, not to like skip forward to T one because we'll get to them eventually. But I don't know, T one to me, they still they still feel like a pretty strong team. Yeah, they dropped a couple games, but it's not at all surprising to me that you know RNG is first. Like if you would have said beforehand, like oh T one is second and RNG is first, it wouldn't be surprising. I just think that we don't have a team right now from what we've seen in the rumble stage that is consistently playing at their best because i think that I agree. g i think that g2 and t1's best is better than rng but i think that rng like i said right at the beginning they're the most consistent team they're consistently very good they they have almost no yeah, holes I... the only hole that i would point to this roster would be when bin gets a bit too fucking crackhead and he just like starts going in 1v1 all the time and is like kind of forcing jungle resources in a losing matchup and then sometimes they can lose control of the rest of the map. But other than that, like this team is a team with no holes. They look like a team that can easily win the tournament because they're good enough. Their late game is so good. Their team fighting is so good. Gala's a monster. Um, and I still think that this should be a team that's viewed as one of the favorites, maybe the favorite because they're one and, you know, they finish ahead of T1 and G2. But this is a team that I, I would not like... I, I wouldn't like look past this team because they maybe are a weaker number one that we've seen in tournaments prior. Yeah, I agree with that. I want to go back to the point that you were talking about saying you think G2 and T1 at their best are better than RNG. Are you saying that G2 and T1 at their best are better than RNG at their best? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. See, that, that's the notion that I disagree with in this. I think we kind of talked a little bit about this last week, but I don't think that's the case. I do think that RNG still is not playing at their best, and they still finish number one. Yes, of course, you could argue that, like you just said, G2 and, and T1, or G2 and T1 are not playing at their best as well, so it's hard to make those comparisons. But I guess the guy that I need to point to for RNG that doesn't look all that particularly great to me is Bin. He is running it down actually quite a bit, and I do think that, if Bin played, I mean, some people will remember him playing on Sooning, and he was an absolute monster. If he does play the way that we've seen him play in the past, I believe that was two years ago at Worlds now, right? Is that two years ago when, when Bin was on Sooning? Yep. Season 10. Well, a year yeah. and a half, I yeah, guess. Yeah, yeah right, you're right. Uh, a year and a half at Worlds, Season 10 Worlds. Like, so I guess what I'm saying is this team does have a lot of room to grow when I look at Bin specifically. Because that's where I look at the, this roster, and I'm like, mm, I still think they're better. It's not that I expect more out of 
Wei, Zhao Hu, Gala, or Ming. Um, it's really that I think the top lane is the only area that this team is really struggling, and they still came out in first in their in the in the rumble stage. Yeah, well, I guess I'll rephrase slightly because I I guess what I was saying when it came to T1 and G2 at their best, I was more talking specifically what we've seen so far because I agree with you that there is room for improvement with RNG, and if you had to point to a, to an area for improvement, it would be the top lane and bin. Because while he is still a very, you know, lane dominant player that likes to push the limit in lane, it can also backfire on him a couple times. And I think we saw that in the Rumble stage. But I'm not denying the fact that, you know, RNG can still get better. But just what we've seen so far, if we take the data from this 10 games in the Rumble yeah. stage, I would have to say that G2 and T1 have looked better at times. But at the same time, RNG is consistently looking very okay. good. Okay. I think I'm getting what you're saying now. You're saying from the 10 games that we saw in the Rumble stage, the high highs have been better for, for T1 and G2 than RNG. Is that, is that what you're saying specifically from Rumble? Yeah, but going into best gotcha. of fives, that can be a bad okay. thing because when you're not consistent gotcha. and you're going into a best of five format, you can be very hot and cold, and that's not good for best of fives. And you know you can come out and drop some big like donuts and look like complete shit. And you could maybe get behind that. And consistent teams, like, you know, if you're at a certain baseline level of just better play than your opponents, like, you play enough games, you're going to win that series, so. Yeah, no, I, I, that's something that I could maybe get behind more than the uh, just strictly at their best topic. Well, RNG's best is they won MSI, and we saw that last year, so. Right. I, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about the stars from RNG. So first of all, I think the Lee Sin out of Way has been actually really, really good. Even in some of their games when they're losing, I think Way's looked pretty good. And I remember saying, like, I wanted to keep my eye on this guy because last year, mega hyped and like very hit or miss in last year's MSI. Uh, I think he's performing a lot better. The other two guys that I looked at, so I agree with you that I think Gala and uh, Zhao Hu have been the best players for RNG. Um the two different ways first of all well i guess nice the, nice oh i did not do that on purpose i swear i, I know promise. you i know you didn't but i just wanted to make it seem like you did okay anyways um gala strictly is just putting out a bunch of damage so when i'm watching them team fight it seems like gala is putting out more damage and landing more of his abilities than other champions so i was like hmm Maybe this is true, maybe this is not. So I go and look at the damage. And as far as like damage per minute in this tournament, it goes Zeus, then Zhao Hu and Gala. And the reason why I think you could say so they're two and three for the for the that might have just been Rumble. I don't know if it's Rumble or or the whole tournament altogether. But regardless, um what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. The reason why I think Zhao Hu and Gala are on their own level is because I think Zeus has kind of been sort of hit or miss this tournament. Like, like the Aurelia game, for example. He's absolutely popping off, and then he would run it down quite a bit. I don't think we've seen any run it down from Zhao Hu and Gala. So the fact that they're putting out that much damage, and usually when you're being super aggressive, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. These guys aren't making a lot of mistakes is where I'm most impressed with RNG. Zhao Hu seems to be all over the map making plays. There is a lot of good going on with these two stars from RNG. And I think that's where you got to point to where the success is coming from is uh, specifically those two players, even if you could also point to Wei and, and Ming as well. Yeah, one thing, this is like kind of a minor note on RNG, but one thing that I've always found super interesting when it came to the LPL teams is their priority on Vex. And I know we obviously, we talk about the LCS all the time and we saw very little Vex throughout the majority of LCS uh, spring only saw it a couple times as kind of like a counter into LeBlanc but the LPL they like super high value Vex in most of the drafts and one of Zhao who's I thought 
better performances um, in the back to the group stage was on Vex. He had a kind of a sketchy Vex game against Saigon. That was like the game where they were down like 9k gold and Saigon kind of threw in the enemy base. But once again, that was like a pick that has a lot of team fight power, which is clearly RNG's strength because I was like going back and looking at their early games and they don't really generate any massive early game leads. They're usually at max up 2k, at worst down 2k, and more often than not are kind of somewhere floating around like up, up or down 1k for the most part. But post 20 minutes, like if you look at their gold graphs, they just like completely, you know, blows up in RNG's favor past 20 minutes. Like in almost every single game they're winning, it'll go from about an even game state post 20 minutes and then it'll be ending on a 10k gold lead or something like that. So the thing that I find kind of scary with RNG for a lot of these other teams like T1, like G2, like EG is they're making a lot of mistakes in both their early game and in their mid game in terms of getting picked off, you know, not properly setting up for their, for their objectives. And I feel like RNG is that team where like you give them an inch and they'll take a mile because of how strong their team fighting is with Yahoo and Gala. Like it feels like if you don't get a really, if, if you don't get a good early game lead on this team, and in turn, if you don't have enough team fighting power to match them in the late game, it feels like a really difficult team to beat because when we saw teams take games off of RNG, it was through winning in the early game. And I think unless you're doing that, it's probably going to be pretty hard for you to beat this team. Yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said there. And that makes me want to transition to talking about T1 a little bit. You mentioned about how uh, teams like G2 or, or T1 or EG um, are struggling setting up around objectives. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons we, we mentioned, I think it's going to be in the title and we mentioned at the start, very start of the show, like why is T1 struggling? I think that is one of the main reason why we're seeing T1 struggle right now is the setup for objectives. Um, we see them start Herald with like their AD carry is in base or we'll see them start up Baron where like there's no real rush to start Baron. Like the game specifically against EG, they threw at Baron twice where it's like, maybe you don't need to force so hard when you're so far ahead. Like, I, it feels like there's more urgency than there needs to be. Now, I realize that you don't want to be a... I don't know. Who, who's a team that's notorious for playing too slow? Maybe maybe Golden Guardians? Uh, team or Liquid? Something like that. Yeah, maybe Team because, Liquid. Uh... And you, I realize that you want to have some sort of urgency and you don't want to just let the, let the other team uh, scale freely. But there does need to be some sort of like, hey, we're continuing to get more and more leads. We're grabbing more and more objectives. You can play around, you know, playing it slowly, grabbing more and more towers and pushing further into the enemy jungle and then starting up the Baron. It feels like the full setup um, of the deep division in enemy jungle is not happening before they're doing their Barons. And they're kind of just letting the other team walk in and contest these Barons. And then, of course, stealing Baron and winning the fight and cleaning up. And I feel like that's the area where we've seen T1... Uh, struggle a little bit where we wouldn't have seen that in pretty much all of Sprint. Yeah, I, after watching T1 in the Rumble stage, I, I kind of think back to one of the comments that I made in our last week's episode where I basically talked about how if T1 underperforms, uh, maybe this was even right before MSI started. I don't remember if it was exactly before MSI started or after the group stage happened, but one of the things we were talking about was, you know, what's sort of the word if T1 starts to lose? Is it because maybe the LCK isn't as strong as the other regions and T1's just stomping the LCK? Or is it that T1's actually bad and, you know, they're not as good as everybody thought that they were and, you know, these other regions are still quite strong? And, you know, we when we are talking about this team with regards to MSI, they're smashing every single early game. I know they played 10 games, they lost, they, they lost three times, but in every single early game, they had a lead. 
And in those three losses, like you said, it was kind of around poor objective control, you know, starting Rift Heralds with not all five members around or, you know, two members might be on the opposite side of the map or somebody's not set up or starting Baron and, you know, at times where you're really not supposed to and sort of going for these more flip plays when you don't really need to, when you have these massive gold leads, when, like you said, you can farm those extra waves, you can take those extra towers, you can get that extra vision control to sort of not make these super risky plays that it seems that they're making. But I think at the same time, T1 being from the LCK, I think is very used to this kind of black and white play style where if you're the team ahead, you have the control. And if you're the team who's behind, you're farming up and scaling. And I think that at a certain point, like the LCK is sort of like that, where there's this very black and white give and take, where I think when you look in regions like China and you look in regions like Europe, the game doesn't really function like that. You know, if you're down 1K... If you're in China and Europe, you know, the best time to fight is now because you're only down 1K right now and you're not going to be down 7K later on in the game. And I just think that these other teams from other regions are more willing to take it to T1, even from these early game deficits, because they recognize the fact that, hey, like, we need to try to create the chaos and we need to try to catch T1 off guard or we need to notice when members are on the opposite side of the map and we have a numbers advantage and we can take those fights, even if they're those 60-40 type plays that don't always work out in your favor, but you need to take and sort of take control of the game again so i think that t1 struggles like they're a little bit overblown because the early game is the best part of their game and that was yeah, what they I were agree. known for in the lck they've gotten an early game lead in every single game but i think you're correct in saying that they just need to slow it down a little bit and just go through all the steps like they're skipping steps one of the problems i always have with lcs teams is they skip steps they don't get the proper vision they don't have the numbers in their advantage and they're just doing dumb shit and i think t1 is just kind of doing some dumb shit like just chill out, it's bro, and though. you're going to win games. <laughs> it's funny, though, because I feel like people listening to this would be like, wait, you want the LCK to play slower? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I do. I mean, it's yeah, I, I get what, when it's when you say it like that, it though, sounds kind of stupid, but like. No, but it's true, though, in these in this in the rumble stage, though, it's true that they are playing very quick. And I'm not even saying that this is what's happening, but it feels like. They're so used to grabbing every objective and just taking everything that it's like it feels wrong if they're not contesting every herald or if they're not just taking Baron freely. It's almost like they're so used to winning that it's just like, yeah, we just get the objective. That's yeah, how exactly. it works. So we're just gonna go. And again, I'm not even saying that that's what's happening, but that's what it feels like when I'm watching these games. And I'm just like, we don't need to force the Baron just yet. Like, but okay. <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, it, it is funny, and it does feel weird to be like, hey, LCK representative, you're playing too quickly. That's uh, not traditionally what you get out of the LCK. Hey, but I, like I said, I know it's like you're kind of half-joking, but it is true that the LCK is notoriously a very slow region. Yeah. But at the same time, like when you are a team who is very dominant in the early game and your your successful strategies are happening because you're stomping the early game so hard, like at a certain point, like... You just need to slow it down and make sure you're following the steps. You need to go through the checklist and che like tick off numbers one through seven. Oh, we set up deep vision. Oh, there's no TP wards behind us. Oh, uh, you know, we have river control and lane control. Oh, we have ultimates up and we have summoner spells up. And then it's like, okay, now we fight because we are the better team. And, you know, T1's just kind of like, oh shit, yo, go kill that guy. Oh shit, start the Swift Herald. It's like, bro, just chill out. I like in this imaginary world where all of T1 is listening to this and they all speak English, they're probably going, Oh, you're always telling us we're playing too slow and now we're playing quick and now that's not good enough for you. And I'm like, 
I feel like I'm being a little bit picky, but I, I stand by that. I do think they are playing too quick. A uh, couple pop-off performances that I do want to highlight from this team. Uh, owner on the Viego was kind of insane in the one game against G2. Like, I think they still ended up losing. Yeah, that was that, that was the game. first game of Rumble where they lost, but he had that, like, 1v4 play, that play top was side. was sick, though. Yeah, yeah, that was sweet. And, like, he was living with, like, 1 HP before getting the resets. That was, like, a hella uh, crazy fight. And even though I mentioned this uh, a few minutes ago, but, like, Zaya, on the Aurelia game was absolutely shitting on I think it was a Kennen if I remember right uh, he ended up kind of inting a couple of times after that but that game he absolutely popped off as well uh, and was kind of being a beast as well those were the pop-off performances and then obviously Faker on Zoe that, that's not new Faker on Faker's a beast. TF that's not new yeah <laughs> yeah um, I will say I did expect Caria to be the best player on the team and I don't think he has been though you would say it's who? I'm wondering the best player probably owner i would say it's probably been owner yeah i zayas has had really good performances too it's just that i guess you could also maybe argue for zayas as well i would say it's either between top and jungle yeah i, I don't think anyone on t1 has really stood out as like an insane like performer or had insane performances well, because like i said I... I think a lot of it is because of just how strong the early game in is and the early game in modern league at the current moment is about you know team coordination it's not just about shitting on your lane opponent 1v1 it's about shitting on your lane opponent 1v1 and turning that into vision in the enemy jungle stealing their camps controlling objectives taking early towers and whatnot so i think when it comes to judging a team who has a really strong early game you got to look at it, you got to look at it as more of a team like effort and a collective effort than just one person because i mean if it was just one person we would clearly see that person being like going like what summit was doing in spring split where he's like solo killing getting a tower all yeah. by himself up 50 40 cs and that's not the case but you can just see from all of t1's early games how good of a team they are but like we said just you know follow the checklist and you'll you'll win games well and you mentioned players standing out uh you were probably referencing players standing out in a good way i guess you would have to point to gumayushi as a player standing out in not such a good way himself being very critical of his own play that's one area that also where it seems like t1 is not like gumayushi was an absolute beast uh from all uh accounts or from what from what the community sentiment was that gumayushi was an absolute monster all spring long and he's been very very critical of himself in this tournament he's not happy with his performance and so i guess that would be the first area to point to as to specific players that kind of got to step it up for this tournament I, I thought it was funny that in the first game of the group stage, it was T1 versus Saigon, and Shogun and Taki solo killed Karia and uh, Gumiyushi. And then first it game of Rumble feel stage, like that bot lanes died a lot. Yeah, and then first game of Rumble stage, G2 versus T1, Gumiyushi and Karia are solo killing G2's bot lane. So I was like, damn, like these guys are getting thirsty. Yeah. But then they didn't even play that well the rest of the Rumble stage because I thought after that first game, like two minutes in the game, I was like, oh shit, they're back. But then, what, you know, G2? no, T1, because like their bot lane was just solo killing them. It was like they're slumping the early game. They're up 6k in 15 minutes. I was like, this game is over. The owner play happened. And then, you know, G2, like, admittedly, they had a great team fight comp there. They found their one team fight and then they were back in the game. So, yeah, let's hop over to G2 now because we can maybe try to diagnose their struggles. So, okay, first of all, they come out the gate and they're 4 0, and everyone's like, damn, G2 is going to win this damn tournament. Caps is looking like the best player in the tournament. And then things kind of change after four, after two days, and then they go on their oh, I think it was zero and five that they went after that. They lost the next five before picking up the final game against EG, and we saw them lose twice to to PSG, once to um, I almost said Fangbu to Saigon, 
Um, am, I, am I right in that? They lost yeah, one they, to them as well? Yeah, they were 0-2 against PSG, 2-0 against EG, and 1-1 against everyone else. So I'll, I'll give you the, the chance to go first here as far as the diagnosis. What do you think are the biggest struggles for G2? Yeah, I think for me it's just their play. I think as a team, they seem way more... What's even the word? They just seem like a team-fighting team. They don't really strike me as an early-game dominant team, and that's not even what they were over in the LEC. Um, in a lot of these you know, lower-bracket uh, best-of-fives that we saw, specifically the one against Fnatic, um, that was just a heavy team-fighting series where they did ultimately sweep them 3-0, but almost every single game was going later into the game with G2 drafting for a more late-game teamfight style and owning Fnatic in the teamfights towards the end. And I was looking at, you know these games in the Rumble stage for G2, and their first four games, where they started 4-0, were pretty much all heavy teamfighting comps where they they fell behind early, found their fight, and then kind of took over control of the game from there. And their next five games were pretty much almost the reverse of that from the way that they were drafted with a lot more like early game skirmishing power and early game junglers with more aggression in the early game. And despite that, they actually still weren't getting leads in the early game and then ended up falling behind and in these cases where they lost those five games in a row, didn't have these really great team fighting comps to fall back on as the game went later and just kind of had, you know, weaker team fight power than the enemy team in these other five games. So I just thought it was a really weird switch up in strategy where G2, we all knew that they were a great team fighting team and that was their biggest strength over in the LEC. And we saw that first four games, team fighting, you know, we're going to go down 3K in the early game, but that's fine. We're going to team, team fight our way out of this. And then they kind of abandoned that strategy in the next five games. So yeah, it, it, think, it was just a bit of like a weird yin and yang there. I think a lot of people would probably want to point to Caps, not even underperforming, but not continuing to play like the best player in the tournament. If you want to look at like differences from the four game winning streak to the start of Rumble to then the five game losing streak. And I would agree that like Caps in those first four games was way better than he was in the next five. But I don't think that their losses were necessarily on Caps' shoulders. For me, the biggest difference was actually the bot lane. So when I'm watching their first four games, I got to give so much credit to Targamas. And I guess Yankos as well, but uh, specifically talking about the differences here, I got to give uh, credit to Targamas because I thought that he was really, really good with finding the go button on like the Rakan, for example, or like the cannon is flanking them and he is the one that zones off the cannon by charming and knocking him up first so that the cannon can't get his flank off. Like those were really, really clutch, clutch plays out of him. And then when it came to the, the losing streak, when I'm watching Targamas, it felt like a lot of his engagement were hesitations or like where he just couldn't pull off the engage that he wanted to pull off it looked like he was uncertain whether he wanted to or not and so that was very night and day and then even to go specifically um to talk more specifically about the bot lane with flathead flathead was an absolute monster in the first four games really popping off and then it felt like he started disrespecting the engage tools of the other team so the, i can't remember multiple examples the first but the one that does come to mind is he's standing right by um uh, Kai wing on rel and i'm like you're gonna get engaged on and i know he has vision of the rel and then he gets engaged on and i'm like huh that's that's strange that he didn't think the rel was going to do that because that's literally what rel does she engages fights and so that's the biggest difference to me in their like their slide was that their bot lane it seems like they kind of lost confidence uh and honestly just weren't performing up to the way they were at the start of the tournament and that's usually that's to me where they um i guess started to show their struggles yeah, and part of that, I think, you know, I agree with you, the fact that their bot lane wasn't playing as well as before. And I think that part of what I was saying earlier about their big, like, switch up in their draft strategy was 
Blackhead was pretty much exclusively playing late game carries and like Zeri and Kaisa in the Rumble stage. And that's what he was, you know, even doing over in the LAC towards the end was just mainly just playing Kaisa and just owning everybody in team fights. And we've kind of seen Kalista pop up into the meta at MSI right from the get-go. Blackhead did play it in their first game against T1. Didn't look very good on it, but it does seem... Sorry, what did I, did I say did? I meant to say didn't look very good on it. But it does seem that Blackhead isn't as comfortable on these more early game lane-centric AD carries like the Kalista, like the Jin. even we saw one game out of him. So I definitely think his, his bread and butter is to Kaisa. And like I said, G2 as a whole, they're just... They seem to be this amazing team-fighting team that doesn't necessarily have their early game figured out in terms of, you know, performing against the other top teams in the world. I think they could easily probably pull off early game comps in the LEC, but this isn't the LEC. This is MSI. You're going up against LCK number one and LPL number one. So, you know, I just think that this team is still very, very good. However, I think my opinion on them now is that they do sort of need to have their ideal draft and fit certain conditions for them to be at their absolute best because I don't think the the opinions definitely changed quite a lot between the first four games and the next five games because it felt like everyone was kind of riding this G2 wave saying, oh, are they going to go 10-0? Wow, are they going to win MSI? And then it just turned into the complete opposite where like, hey, are they even going to make it out of the Rumble stage because they dropped those games against PSG Talent, dropped that game to Saigon Buffalo, and it was actually looking like they might not even make it out. But they did. They're 5-5. Five and five. And uh, I think that this team is still a really good team. However, I... If I was them, I'd be putting my eggs into the let's team fight basket as opposed to let's play for early game basket. Yeah, the only thing is, is like all of the teams remaining, I feel like team fight pretty well. Right? Oh, so yeah, but like, but, at the, but like I said, G2 does it really fight. well. So <laughs> No, they do. They do. It's just it's funny because like my advice to all of them is team fight. It's like, okay, well, just team fight forehead. Um I mentioned how like uh, Targamus was a guy that was really clutch in the, in the early going of the tournament and finding a lot. I think Yankos was pretty consistent as well. I just think that the reason why I didn't mention Yankos is, uh, is because I didn't feel like he fell off nearly as hard as Targamus did as the tournament went on. I think Yankos is having a pretty damn consistent tournament. Uh, specifically, I liked the Diana. That went really well with the Yasuo. That's a pretty popular combo. But, like, the game is riding on you finding those engages. And, yes, I believe they were playing a shit ton of knockups in that game. So maybe in that game specifically it, it wasn't. Yeah. yeah, and I think Rakan as well. Maybe so that, they, sound, that sounds about right. Anyways, it's in that particular game. I guess you could argue that it's not just on Yankos or not just on the Diana to um, pull off team fights. I guess, but in that game, he definitely was a big part as to why they, those fights were being pulled off. So you got to give credit there. His Wukong was great and has been great pretty much the whole tournament. Obviously, that champion's busted, but Yankos makes it look a little bit more busted, and so you got to give uh, praise for that as well. I, I think G two uh, will be fine. Like going to the best of five is they seem to have just a natural advantage in best of fives just because, you know, Cap's super flexible player. Broken Blade is obviously a very flexible player. We've seen that throughout the entirety of the LEC Spring Split where he's playing shit like Yone, Corky. He's now playing Vladimir. Uh, he, he plays everything. I wanted to so... ask you about some of those picks. What do you think about the Vladimir and the Ribbon? The Ribbon was sketch, but the dude, Vlad seems like a really good pick. Like, I don't know, just yeah. seems really strong. Yeah, I agree. I, I like him playing the Vladimir. The thing is, I feel like he just didn't have that great of a game with the Ribbon. Like, I kind of want to see it again. But the thing is, it's kind of hard to pull out Ribbon, right? It needs to be... Like, Ribbon's not something you can blind pick. It's something yeah, that it, you dude, need to... It's all mechanics. So I don't know like, if we're, your mechanics I don't know if we're going to get to... The whole game. 
Yeah, I don't know if we're going to be able to get to see that again, but I kind of would like to. I feel like I wanted to get a little redemption game, uh, just being a Broken Blade fan. Um, I guess with that said, though, I also am kind of EU hater as the rivalry goes. It's like, I know I've said this before, it's like I love the G2 players, but I need them all to lose because EU NA, which, God, that that whole rivalry didn't work out in my favor the whole, I don't know, last two weeks, I guess. Yeah, not really. Uh, NA not really picking up any wins. I guess that's a good time to transition over to, to NA. So, look, okay, maybe we can't beat Europe, but we can have the same score as them in Rumble Stage, so we'll take that, Copium. Yeah, they're advancing. Um, I want to think the last time an NA team advanced out of the Rumble Stage would have been TL 2019, correct? Oh, dude, you know that's got to be you to remember that. You know okay, you well, can't ask me for... Pretty I'm sure, not your guy here, man. <laughs> pretty sure it's 2019, and then before that would have been CLG in 2016. So it seems to be that NA is doing the whole every three years thing when it comes to MSI in terms of getting out. So 2025 MSI, NA is getting out of groups again. Yeah, but, and it, we we asked the question at the start of the show, like, is MSI a success already for EG? I think the answer is kind of obviously yes. Yeah, uh, I, I, it's I would been say... Talked about it's been talked about a million times that like you have two really young rookies and it's amazing that they're here to begin with and obviously making it out of groups. That's where NA fans are automatically happy. It's like, if you don't make groups, NA fans are disappointed or don't make it out of groups rather, NA fans are disappointed. And if you do, NA fans are happy. Like that's the bar for North American fans, right? I'm pretty sure I'm right in that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would and say so I'm, got I'm, over a, that bar. I'm a little bit biased being a Cloud9 fan because Cloud9 seems to be one of the only NA teams that can, can consistently make it out of groups at international tournaments. But Not last year, though. Exactly. C9 didn't make it out last year. EG did make it out. So definitely a success. And even by my standards of being a C9 fan and regularly, regularly seeing my team advance out of groups, I would still say it's a success because no other team is really doing it outside of Cloud9. And for EG to do it, that's epic. I remember I, read, I saw some tweet right after the Rumble stage ended. It was... Jojo Pune is playing in his first split ever at his first international tournament ever, and it already gotten out of groups as many times as Bjergsen. Yeah. And that, that's just a crazy stat to think about. The only time Bjergsen ever made it out of groups at an, interna at an international event was Worlds 2014 when they were in a group with That is R insane. Yeah. I, like they were, they were four and two. They had RNG in their group and SK and some other team. I think it was a wildcard team. 2014, man. Yeah. That was like, the thing is, at that time in 2014, did we know that there was a significant gap or was there even a significant gap at that point in time between regions? I don't like, think so. I feel like most people knew that Korea was better than other regions, but I feel like most people didn't know how big the gap was. And maybe it wasn't even that big at that time. Yeah, I mean, especially when it comes to sort of comparing North American teams on the international stage, I don't think it was as bad as it is now in terms of the perception of how NA performs versus the rest of the world. Because back in the day, like, Cloud9, they were in quarters in 2013. Cloud9 and TSM were in quarters in 2014. EU was in uh, quarters in... They were in semis in 2013, quarters in 2014. Two, of the, two EU teams made semis in 2015. Was that H2K in 2015? No, H2K was 2016. Oh, 20, I thought I remembered one for once. Uh, 20, 2015 was Fnatic and Origin. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway... Let's take, let's, I guess I brought us on a little bit of a tangent there. Let's focus a little bit more on EG on how they're doing at this MSI. Uh, okay, I'll just say, I think the standout player is inspired. I think he's played great. 
And I think he's the biggest reason as to why EG uh, has moved on. Agree or disagree, JNT? No, 100% agree. Um, if it, like Obviously, EG's not going to stand out as much as these other teams like G2, T1, or RNG, mainly because they're a smaller name, but also because they didn't pick up as many wins. They did pick up the same number of, win same number of wins against G2, but did go 0-2 against G2. But nameplates off and like kind of it, you could say that take the nameplates off and ignore the records of the teams i think there's an argument to be made for inspired being one of the best players at the tournament if i had to yeah, pick never mind the nameplates nameplates on i i would nameplates on or off i don't care if i had i, to I think pick, he should be considered if i had to pick he'd be somewhere maybe like four in terms of like top players at the tournament because i would pick Hu and gala as my one or two in, in either order i don't think Probably Gala one, Jahu two, and three. I might put like Faker or Owner, and then four is probably Inspired. So okay, I cheated, and we kind of talked about this for for people that don't know. When we were doing our prep for the episode, we said, "Hey, let's pick a few players that, or pick a player that you think is the best and worst performer of the tournament." And I picked a few. JNT, I'm sorry. Picked a few. I'll admit it. Yeah, I picked a few because I I don't know. Hmm. I couldn't. I had so I had Gala and Jahu on here. Um, and then I had inspired as well for the best, for the best. So I put three players down. But the thing is, the reason why I have a hard time pinpointing is because I don't think EG is playing all that great. I don't so either. Like, I, I think I kind of think inspired really well. is dragging them over the finish line. So that's why I'm I'm kind of like, man, inspired's kind of beasting right now. And like, imagine this team without inspired. I don't think they make it to groups. And so I definitely think inspired. I think you're right. Inspired should be thrown in uh, where I think a lot of people would be like, oh, and a bias lol. But like, I don't know. EG's not playing that great. I think Vulcan's had a pretty bad tournament. If the main guy that I look at is Vulcan. I think that he's been very disappointing. Um, I will say I thought his bard game was pretty good. He had a few nice alties where he's getting some picks, but uh, he's getting caught a lot. And like, these are not like, I'm getting caught. Oh, well, you know, these are like bad time. Like I'm getting caught and then the team's trying to save me. And then we're giving up Baron and losing the game. Like he's not having that great of a tournament. And I kind of expect more out of Vulcan. I also, another guy to point out is Danny. Honestly, I don't think Danny's been particularly great, but not nearly as bad as Vulcan. So uh, as far as my worst performing list, I have Vulcan and uh, yeah, I think it's, pretty clear that it's Vulcan. I, I guess I had Guma Yushi on here as well, but I think that was more so I was being sold by his thoughts on his own performance more than just Vulcan being quite bad. Yeah, I mean, if I had to throw other names into the ring that were from, that were from other teams that made it out of Rumble Stage, the only one that really comes to mind for me is Ben, mainly because he's been more of a detriment than a help. Feels like okay. in a lot of their games, but you, so you're 100 right. But you just made me realize that when we were making up these lists, guys, we were not. We were only talking about the teams that moved on. Just to be clear, yeah, we were not considering PSG. It's and, fairly and obvious that Froggy is the worst Froggy. player in the <laughs> yeah. tournament. Yeah, yeah. People, I've, I'm glad that you mentioned that because people are probably listening, going like, "Dude, have you watched Buffalo?" Uh, oh, we yeah. oh Fro we were watching. Yeah. Yeah. No, it the thing is the reason why we did it this way is because Froggy's been incredibly bad. It's like it feels like we're just dunking on But yeah, I forgot to mention. For the teams that moved on, we were only considering the teams that moved on in that list. Anyways, any other thoughts on EG? Well, I just I think it's a it's a a warm sight to see what isn't there like some sort of saying there, but like 
the NA classic at international events is to lose the games you're supposed to win and drop a game to some to, some dog shit team. Like the script True. was supposed to say that EG was going to lose to Buffalo or lose to PSG, and then they weren't going to make it out of the tournament. But when we go back and we look at North American teams that make it out of groups at international events, they win the games that they're supposed to win, and they usually take one or two games off of teams that are better than better than better than them. Jesus. And in this case, yeah. EG went 2-0 versus PSG, 2-0 versus Saigon, and took a game off T1. And you know, Let's go, man. They took a game off T1. I don't care. People are going to be like, well, T1's struggling. I don't give a shit. They took a game off T1. That hasn't happened since 2016, as everyone's talking about on Twitter. Well, freaking take it, man. Let's go. And that it, was pretty sweet. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, in a world where four out of the six teams make it out of the group stage, 50% is good enough. And there you go. Yeah. No complaints there. Also, uh, I was pretty worried. So for a lot of spring split, JoJo was like getting picked a lot, like just not respecting where the jungler could be and like, oh, I'm going to go get vision by myself now. Bye, guys. And then he ends up dying. Now, that did happen a couple times on the last day. But I thought that as much as we had seen it in spring, I thought for sure that would be exposed a lot more at MSI. We did not see that very often. And I think that we actually saw JoJo have a pretty damn good tournament so far. Uh, especially when you think about the mid laners that he went up against. I'm really, really happy with JoJo's performance in this tournament. Um, Caps, Faker, and Xiaohu? Shit, right? Like, I, I think that's where the... That's where the... Um, I don't know. The... Feels good man comes from, I guess? Yeah. That, that's the best feels good man out of EG from this tournament is how good JoJo's looked. Because uh, he's been mechanically great. He's made a lot of plays without hesitation. He's going in like you would expect him to do, but you don't know on the on the world stage if that if that changes. Uh, he hasn't really skipped a beat, and he's been playing like his regular self uh, without as much inting. So I was, that's a really good sight to see. Mm, EG got him off the tank rise, so he's looking good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anything else on EG? Um, NA Poggers. NA Poggers. Anything on Impact? Um. <laughs> Hey, dude, like I always say, don't need to worry about impact. He'll be fine. He has had a couple of laning phases where he's struggled or he's kind of gotten uh, like a little bit beat on. But for the most part, I think he's having a pretty good tournament. Um, he's looked, yeah, he's I, looked I, pretty I, good in some of their losses. I agree with the notion that like you don't need to uh, worry too much about impact. Yeah, again, like I said, he did lose a couple of lanes, but for the most part, he's been pretty solid. And I'd probably put him as the third best performer, just slightly behind JoJo. So he's had a pretty decent tournament himself. Uh, do you want to touch? Should we touch on PSG and Saigon real quick? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who were the standout players for you? Let's start PSG, I guess. Yeah, PSG. Uh, I don't even know. I, I I still think that PSG is a good team, and mm -hmm. they continue to look like a team that should be on the on the international stage and can compete against yep. these other top teams in the world. But I do think that they are much weaker with their lesser mid jungle in comparison to river and maple who are previously you know the starting mid jungle for this team and while i think that you know mid jungle isn't as op as it was in season nine and season 10 it's still obviously the most important part of you know league of legends today i know a lot of the power has been sort of shifted into the bot lane as of late in terms of the champion picks and kind of how team comps are formed and how the meta is but at the same time if you have a weak mid jungle like your team is going to struggle and I still think that, you know, I'm not really knocking Juhan and Bay and say that they can't be like, like they're not world-class players, like they can compete at Worlds. They can. They're just not as good as River and Maple. And that just naturally makes PSG a bit of a weaker team than they once were. 
But, you know, if they continue to be the number one representative from the PCS, this is still a team you can't just say, oh, it's like minor region XD. Like, dude, even though they're, even though they're technically a minor region, the PCS, they're not a minor region. Like, they used to be the LMS. They're a yeah. major region. And they still feel like a major region type team. Like, the Flash Wolves were always back from, like, season four to season seven. And now PSG feels like that one team that's going to go to an international event almost every single year, be the number one representative. And you have to be worried and prepare for them or they're going to take games off of you. I'm looking at you, G2. Like, well, like they did last year as well, right? Yep. It's like not just this year, but last year as well. The the two standouts for me, Kai Wing uh, on the rail, I thought was great. Uh, the other one is Bay. The funny thing about Bay is that I didn't think he had a particularly good tournament, but he did when he was playing against G2. <laughs> the Lissandra <laughs> was really annoying. Like, Caps couldn't really do much with the LeBlanc because the Lissandra is like a really good answer. Or the Syndra, he had a nice TP flank where he combos the two of them. And uh, the two, I think it was the two carries. I don't remember if it was the two carries, but he gets a nice uh, scatter the weak uh, Syndra combo. And like, pretty much that, I think that was clinching the team fight. And so uh, it was funny to me how it was like, Bay really decided to show up when it came time to play G2. And I just think like that was one of the biggest reasons why we could see Saigon beat G2 and then lose to pretty much everyone else. Mm -hmm. uh, Saigon though, let's talk about them real quick. Okay, we mentioned Froggy had a really bad tournament. I I'm not going to beat the dead horse too much. All I have to say is like, I said when when I'm when I'm watching him walk up to the wall with Vagar like when the Wukong I think it was inspired on the other side of the he's at Raptors pit on the other side recalling I am like there's no way he's about to fall for this bait and then he actually did man like why would the Wukong walk all the way right up to that wall and then just start recalling there like he obviously knows that you see him and he goes to try to stop the base and dies that play was bean soup man bean soup award right there that was and and that was like the, I don't know, the deciding factor where I was like, yeah, this guy, he, he just ain't, he ain't playing too well. Yeah. And to, to, to give an LCS comparison for, for the people that may not have watched this team's games or literally know nothing about any of the players, they felt like they were pulling a bit of an immortals, this tournament, where it was the case where nobody on this team could have, like all five players couldn't play well for a whole game like one person had to be bad or like a bunch of people had to be bad with one person looking really good and i think for the most part their adc shogun he looked really good almost i think the entire tournament i think yeah, yeah obviously he had a couple not so great games but he had some other fantastic games where he's getting solo kills levels one two and three against some of the best bot laners in the world and you know they ultimately did win two games they took a game off of did they went wait no, no they won they win one game or two games they won two they games. Won they beat G2. Two. They, won, they beat G2 and PSG, right? I believe so. Yeah, like they beat G2 and PSG. Yeah. Uh, it's more like I don't think this team is like the best, nor do I think that they're going to be back at the international stage because like let's not forget, you know, this was the VCS number two seed and not the number one seed. Gigabyte Marines didn't actually go to the tournament. And I think this is more just kind of it's good to see the VCS back on the international stage because even though they're a minor region, quote unquote, I don't really consider them a minor region. Um, their number one seeds are usually very, very good. And even the number two seed is taking games off of pool one teams from the other regions. So yeah. I think I'm just now waiting for Worlds to come around where this region is going to have two spots and we're likely to see Gigabyte Marines and Saigon Buffalo at it again, or maybe Gigabyte Marines and someone else other than Saigon Buffalo, or maybe not Gigabyte Marines and Saigon Buffalo and someone else. But BCS is back. Thank God. 
I wish they were here for like Worlds 2020 and MSI 2021 and then Worlds 2021. But and hopefully next year we could have a tournament or maybe at Worlds, I guess. We could have a tournament where every region is able to go. Hopefully. Yeah, and we have like a not weird amount of teams, like 11 yeah. teams at MSI two times in a row now. Like that's just weird, bro. Yeah. Three team I mean, group play eight games in best of ones, NA versus OS. Like, it is what it is, right? Nothing we can do about that. Yeah. Uh, before we move on, this is the part where I remind you guys to hit the subscribe button. Uh, we would love you to hit the subscribe button. That helps us quite a bit. And also do the comment thing, do the hit the like button thing. That helps us quite a bit. Uh, JNT and I apologize for not doing live streams right now. Um, we hope to get those started up soon. We thought maybe this week, but it didn't end up panning out. JNT, any idea about maybe next week? Um, maybe at the very least, I think we'll probably have them back for this for a summer split of LCS. So. We're, we're gonna see what we can do still, guys. But big apologies for that. There's just internet issues, and no need to get too much into that. But we'll get back to those when we can. We'll try to do some live streams now. Let's do some preview for the semifinals coming up. JNT on mm -hmm. Friday we got EG versus RNG. Uh, quite the steep hill to climb for EG uh, and for North America to beat an LPL representative. But JNT, an LCS team, has beat an LPL representative before at this tournament. Uh, what do you think the chances are that this happens again? Yeah, unfortunately for Evil Geniuses, I think they don't really have too much of a chance in this series. Um, I thought that, you know, their games versus RNG were, like, some of their worst games, just in terms of their overall performance, where, you know, they had some close games against G2. Like I said, they did take the game off of T1, and they 2-0'd both of PSG and Saigon, but... To me, looking back on these EG versus RNG games, it's a clear we're better than the opponents individually and we're also better at team fighting. And I just think it's one of those bad matchups where RNG basically does everything that EG does, but better. Yeah, I guess the, the area that I would point to for EG to, uh, to win this series is I think they got to play around top. Um, we mentioned how Bin has been like the only real weakness out of RNG. So I feel like... You kind of want to put your trust in Impact to win some lanes, and maybe you could win through there. That that would be the angle that I would look at it if I'm EG, because, I mean, I, I can't really count on JoJo to outplay Xiaohu. Like, come on, that's just not fair. I don't think EG's bot lane has been particularly good, so I'm not counting on them either. Maybe Inspired could outplay Wei, but that, I mean, it's possible, but that's still a tall task to to ask for as well, and it's like... I feel like the only weakness is Bin, and so I think you need to play around that and maybe get uh, Impact a winning matchup and try to snowball the game that way. Yeah, I, I, d I definitely think that if EG does hold some sort of an advantage, it is in the top lane. Also because I think that, I've always said this about Impact, but he's a great neutralizer in lane, where even if he's up against an opponent who's very clearly mechanically you know better than uh, impact or even is just more lane dominant or plays these more aggressive style picks impact has always done a great job of losing gracefully or like not even losing just going even in these very volatile lanes and i think that'll be a big advantage against ben who's a very you know push it to the limit type of player likes to play the jacks as one of his you know kind of pocket picks i think we saw one game one jacks game in the rumble stage but going back to worlds uh season 10 as we were talking about right at the beginning of the show when we were talking about RNG and when Ben was so good, it was on the jacks and he was popping off. So NGP. I, yeah, I just think, unfortunately, it, it's just one of those bad matchup things. And like I said, I think RNG is the most consistent team at the tournament. And I think if EG was going up against a G2 or a T1, 
who maybe are a little bit more volatile, don't exactly know, you know, don't have the greatest read on the meta or what they want to do themselves, it would be, you know, an easier matchup where they could win a game or some games or the series. But I unfortunately think they, they, they got the shit end of the stick here against RNG. Just to sprinkle on a little bit of hopium for, for evil geniuses, I did mention that their bot lane isn't playing that well right now. Um, maybe this would be the this good time hope? to see them play the way they can play, right? Like, you moved on without playing at your best. Well, maybe now they can show what their best is and actually make this an interesting series. That's fair. A um, little bit of hopium there. Uh, if I'm RNG looking to play against EG, I honestly... So, RNG plays Feed very aggressive. Gala. And they kind of, well, yeah, definitely. And they, they, um, like you see Xiaohu making plays all over the map. I, I mean, you obviously can continue to play that style. They've had plenty of success with it. But against EG, all I think you really need to do is play for vision. I don't, I don't think RNG needs to force a bunch of plays. If they just fight for vision, I feel like that's where EG struggles a lot because they're always sending in Vulcan alone to check vision. And that's where they're just like, I don't know how this happens so often this tournament. But Vulcan is always face checking by himself. That's, it, it feels very solo queue esque, where like the support doesn't want to type to his teammates, like, hey, can someone come help me get vision? So they just go in and check by themselves and die. I don't know how that's happening that often in pro play, but it's what's happening a lot. And so I feel like if RNG just gets vision control, that EG will face check them and they'll lose the game that way. So if I'm RNG, um, of course, you could play the regular style where they play hella aggro and have Xiaohu go all over the map. Or you could just play for uh, for river, river control and they'll probably win that way too. Yeah, um, I'll say 3-0 RNG. Yeah, I'm going to be biased. Um, do you know what that means? You're going to go 3-1? Yeah. Okay. Well, I I have I hope they win a game, but I don't think yeah, they will. Yeah, me too. Me too. I I am still hoping I like there's a chance they could win this series. Do I think it's likely? No, but if they can. Um I guess what percentage would you give JNT of EG winning this series? I I think I'd probably go with like 10%, 15. I was going to say like 5 to 10, more on the mm. 5 end, so I'll give them 7%. Really, eh? Wow. If they played this a hundred times, EG is only winning at seven. Yeah. Okay. Dude. The hey, gap, there is a gap. There the is a gap, gap in the bot lane is like astronomical. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Like just with All the right, way, then... like what we've seen out of Danny and Vul like they're they're a good bot lane. I think that Vulcan was one of EG's best players back in the LCS, and Danny was obviously the carry that you know led them to this championship. But yeah. from what we've seen at MSI so far, Danny and Vulcan are their worst performing players. Vulcan specifically. And I've talked about on this show so many times about how I think Ming is so, so good. Um, if it wasn't yeah, for Carrier, I'd probably be picking him for, like, best support in the world. Yeah. But Okay, let's go G2 versus T1. That's a Saturday matchup. Yeah, this series uh, is much more interesting. I actually, to be honest, like, we're not going to give our predictions right away because i got to think about this, but I have no idea who's going to win. I have my prediction, and I have my, like, what I would do if I'm T1, but I kind of mentioned it already that I just think they need to slow down. You mentioned at the start of the show that, like, they're getting their leads, and it's just that they're throwing them. And so my advice hasn't, like, my advice doesn't change. If, if I was T1, I would just continue to do what they're doing, but just play it out slower at Baron and, and, and Harold or all all objectives for that matter. So nothing nothing changes for me. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a weird dichotomy because T1's greatest strength has been their early game. And they're picking these um, comps that have a lot of power in the early game when it comes to objective control for getting the early dragons. You know, skirmishing within lanes, skirmishing around jungle camps and whatnot. And that's how they're getting these 3, 4, 5k gold leads in almost every single game. But when you look at G2, 
their you know their early game has been quite weak but when they were looking very very good they started off with that 4-0 their team fighting was really what pushed them over the top and in those first four games they were even or behind in every single game and then when it came to these big team fights around 20 to 25 minutes that's where g2 was able to take over the game so going into the series you kind of match those t these two teams up that way it's like oh t1 supposed to win the early game but g2 supposed to win the late game and it's kind of i wonder if t1 is going to go with the game plan of let's play for the early game and then when it comes to the point in the game where we have these big leads and it's around fighting you know it's around fighting around dragon soul and baron if it's then it's like okay now let's slow it down let's make sure we're doing the steps properly or if t1 sort of wants to fight fire with fire and play for you know a more scaling matchup because I, I assume that G2 is probably going to go back to their more reserved drafts where they just pick for a lot of team fighting power, knowing that T1 obviously has a very strong early game, because I think that individually T1 probably still has the advantage in almost every single lane. The only one that I might give it to would be like maybe Caps over Faker if we see, you know, the first four games Caps in a good matchup. Claps. Yeah. That's the only lane where I really see G2 has like an individual advantage. I mean, actually, at the same time, even though owner's been playing so well, I've been really high on Yankos almost like the whole season. So, and I think Yankos has still continued to play really well, but it, it, it's, it's pretty close. I mean, I think that, I think that this will probably be a very close series. I think it'll go five games and I just think it'll be very interesting to see whether or not T1 continues to roll with this heavy early game approach and G2 goes with this heavy late game approach. Yeah, what's weird to me about this series is like, I know 3-1 is the most common scoreline and it's like the most expected scoreline in, in most uh, series, but it feels like for me that it's the least likely, and of course, watch me be wrong and end up being a 3-1, but I, I feel like 3-2 is more likely or 3-0 is also more likely than seeing 3-1 uh, in this particular series. For me, I have it going 3-2 in T1's favor. Um but I did want to say, like, if I'm G2, I forgot to give my little uh, what I think they should be looking to do. Uh, G2, I think they should specifically draft for comfort for their bot lane. I mentioned how their bot lane was the biggest difference to me when it comes to how they were looking when they were winning versus when they were losing. I feel like you have so much adaptability through what Caps can play and what Broken Blade can play. And I guess even Yankos may as well throw him into the mix. Like, I have no question about the champ pools of those three guys and how they'll perform on whatever you put them on. Whereas, like... I do kind of wonder what like what it'll look like depending on what the draft how the draft goes for the bot lane um, and how they've been kind of hesitant on some of their picks. So I would say uh, make sure that your bot lane is in their comfort zone because I think that's the biggest factor for G two to have success. Yeah, I think I'm in sort of a similar boat with you. Where I mean, I'm gonna ignore the whole three one thing, but I think that the series can pretty much go any way. Like. Any any possible outcome in this series, whether it's T1 so tell win, me why you G think it's G2 winning. Come on, say it. Well, I'm picking T1, sorry. But okay. I'm, I'm going to pick T1 the 3-2 as well, five games. But like okay. I said, I don't think I would be surprised if we saw a, T, a T1 3-0, a G2 3-0, a T1 3-2, a G2 3-2, like any, like any possible scoreline, I don't see it as surprising because I think both of these teams, it's a little bit up in the air to, one, how they're going to come out of the gate in terms of performance, and then two, like we both mentioned, how the draft is sort of going to go. And if, like you said, we're going to see flexibility from the solo lanes on G2, comfort in the bot lane. And, you know, on T1 side, if we see early game, where we see, you know, the Callista come out, the Lee Sin come out, the Twisted Fate come out, even the Zoe. I, I kind of, Baker just plays Zoe like an early game champion where he hits every single skill shot and they take control of vision. So it's going to be hype series. I think both series are going to be really exciting. Um, 
even though I have G2 or EG and RNG as a 3-0, I still think it's going to be exciting because it's NA versus LPL, which historically has been NA's best like perform <laughs> it's been it's NA's true. best performance against another major region has been the LPL. Like NA has been trash against EU and trash against the LCK, but the LPL is actually where they found their most success. So a little bit of a back backstory there makes it a little more exciting. Yeah. It's funny how where we've landed now with like the G2 T1 that we think it's going five games. Whereas like if you would have asked us two weeks ago, T1 was better than everyone and it wasn't close. And, you know, like. Or even I after the first, had... even after the first two days of Rumble stage, everyone was going to say G2 is the favorite. Yeah. It's going to beat everyone. Gone, so, yeah. 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 But anyways, and then the finals are on Sunday. So who do you got winning? Who's winning the tournament, JNT? Has yeah, anything changed? I guess if it was RNG versus T1, I'll probably still pick T1 to win. But yeah, like I too. said, in a world where G2 wins versus T1, because I think that's a very possible world, and to me, I see, it as, taking it. I see it as a coin flip, I think G2 would beat RNG. And I think, you know, like I said, I think G2's ceiling from what we've seen is better than RNG's. At this tournament, although RNG has been the more consistent team, but I think you know for the most part, I kind of stated my opinion very early on that I thought G2 was on a similar level to RNG to begin the tournament, and I think they can do it. I think just you know, wait until next week when we're talking about how EG managed to go through the whole thing and beat G2 in the finals to win the first international tournament for the LCS or for North America. Yep, feels good, man. Feels yeah. good just thinking about it. Definitely going to happen. Sure. See y'all next week for when that happens. <laughs> Anything else on uh, the last weekend of MSI, JNT? Um, no, nah, it's going to be exciting. MSI, yeah. I mean, people talk shit about MSI not being exciting. We'll get into that in a sec here. But uh, best of fives are always exciting. Don't care what it is, when it is. Best of fives are always good when it comes to league. Mm-hmm. Now, let's get into the format talk. Um, obviously, got to credit Mark Z for his video of the blame game that he came out with either today or yesterday. Um, basically, he's kind of putting out this format called the Swiss format. Uh, I guess it's used in CSGO. I'll let JNT explain that in just a sec. But I will say I really, really like it. The other thing that I'll also say is last week, I want to go to take us to last week before we get to this. I want to take us to last week where we talked about, like, is MSI tainted at all because of, like, the ping and stuff like that. Um I don't know about you, JNT. Maybe I missed it because I haven't been watching like the commentary in between the games. Have you noticed any more talk about the ping? Or I, I haven't noticed any myself. I, I haven't been watching anything other than the games themselves, so I yeah, couldn't, I couldn't really say that. Yeah, it was just something that I just thought of, and I, so I, I wanted to bring it up before I forgot. Um, because... I assume that the broadcast has probably told them not to mention that as a reason yeah, for things because one it kind of takes away from like the anal the actual analysis just to brush things off as oping or like i would assume that it's probably a topic that the broadcast would you know i wouldn't say force the analysts and the casters to stray away from but it's probably recommended they don't talk about it too much because it's already a problem in and of itself yeah I mean, and again, we still got one more weekend to go, but so far it's been pretty smooth, and I think it does point to that it's not so tainted like we thought it would be uh, maybe a week ago or whatever. Maybe. But, but regardless, anyways, we also talked about should MSI format change, and, well, that's where this topic came into play with the whole Mark Z thing. JNT, do you want to explain what the Swiss format is and basically what Mark Z has thrown out there in his video? Yeah, I mean, just to sort of put things a little bit into context for people, Cadrill put out a pretty astonishing tweet where... I'll read it verbatim. It says, MSI really was just 66 best of ones into three best of fives. 
bruh moment fix that format and when i first read like because i mean i knew that msi was a lot of best of ones everyone knows that when it comes to league of legends it's a lot of best of ones outside the regular seasons of the lpl and the lck um because those they do best of three format for the regular season and we once did see that in the lcs but best of ones is like kind of a huge ass meme but reading that out saying that msi was a grand total of 66 best of ones and only three best of fives is just kind of ridiculous especially when you consider how many dead games quote-unquote there was and by dead games that's what sort of people are referring to as sort of minor region versus minor region games in groups where the outcome has already been decided because one team is undefeated 3-0 or you know it's a matchup that we've seen prior when it comes to the three team groups that we've seen at msi both this year and last year where we have one team going 8-0 and one team going 0-8 and the other one going 4-4 and and like you said Mark C, if you haven't watched this video, go watch the video because it's about the Swiss format, which has been implemented in CSGO for pretty much its entire existence. And if you don't watch CSGO or you don't know what the Swiss format is, it's basically, you know, it's a bracket. I don't even know if you'd call it a bracket, but it's basically a tournament format that I think, you know, very accurately can depict the top teams from the bottom teams in terms of how the games go on. It's, and, it starts with one group, right? Rather than putting yeah. teams into different groups, it starts with one? Yeah, it ba basically the way that it works, if you don't know at all what the hell the Swiss format is, is you have every team in one group, and each team plays you know, another team, and at the end of those six games, one team or six teams are going to be 1-0, and and six teams are going to be 0-1. and And then you play teams from those two groups. So you have a 1-0 team play a 1-0 team, and a 0-1 team plays 0-1 team. And then you kind of go on and on with that. So the two 0 teams will continue to advance. The 0-2 teams will continue to go into the lower part of the bracket. And you basically come to a result where as long as you continue to win, or if you win a certain number of games, you advance to the next stage. So in Mark C's example, I think it's a very good example. If you go and watch the video, it's kind of hard to put it on the screen right now because it, we don't really have the space for it. But okay. basically, the, the format would be is you need four wins to advance, so you're, 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 the ways that you can advance are by instantly winning and just winning four games in a row, or you sort of go through this other bracket of, let's say you start 0-1, then you go 1-1, but now you face another 1-1 team. So you're playing teams that are of the same skill level, plus the good teams get out of the groups easier, and then it's an advantage to them, and you don't have to see these major region teams beat up on these minor region teams. I don't remember what the stat was. I think Azale tweeted it out, but it was something like got it. minor regions versus major regions was 3-36. and 36. Is that what it was like that's crazy yeah, that's what it was and those losses yeah. were all of g2 losing to uh saigon buffalo and psg in the rumble stage because yeah. a lot of those other you know those 36 losses are primarily from the group stage where it was literally just t1 rng and g2 destroying all the minor regions that's a 7.6 percent win rate that's fucked if i did the math right I, maybe i did it wrong but i think that's what that is which is quite bad yeah um so the only thing that i want to get into about this so i i guess after that so i i think after once you move on then it's supposed to be like winner's bracket and loser's bracket right I mean, yeah I in, in, in mark z's example he said that you know with the swiss format it would also give enough time for you know the for the knockout stage to be double elimination and i feel like we've reached the point where i've i mean me personally i've accepted the fact that double elimination is really never going to come into the picture when it comes to international events and i think riot even came out and said in, at the end of 2020 after worlds 2020 ended that they weren't really considering double elimination as a format partially because it does take up a lot of time and 
yeah, that's true. It does take up a lot of time and is a lot more games than a single elimination. You know, I think that the Swiss format that's been proposed, and like I said, go watch this Mark Z video because it'll do a way better job of explaining it than we are right now. But I think it does a really good job of accurately kind of lining teams up with other teams of relative skill level. Because okay. in this format, the LCK and the LPL, they're going to jump out to early leads and not lose a game until they have to play each other when they're the only two undefeated teams remaining. Obviously, winner would move on. It's the number one seed going to the knockout stage. And, you know, the loser would have to then play another you know, another series against another team and then could advance as the number two team. But another point that Mark brought up, which I thought was really, really good, is League sort of has this problem when it comes to identifying and seeding teams past group stage. He kind of brought up Worlds as an example, how it's really awkward that once Worlds comes around, you have eight teams that make it out of the groups uh, with four of them being seed ones and four of them being uh, seed twos. And then you randomly draw, you know, ones versus twos when it's fairly clear that some of these twos are actually better than ones in other groups or some of the ones from groups are way better than the other ones. So it kind of can make for a really lopsided bracket. I'll throw it back to season eight where we had this really lopsided bracket where it was two EU, one NA, and one China on one side, and the other side was like two LPL, two LCK, or three LCK, one LPL. That was when uh, IG won Worlds, where it was KT versus IG in the quarterfinals, and like that was the presumed World Finals because of how weak the other side of the bracket was. But I think it does a really good job in solving that additional problem of properly seeding teams into elimination stages past the group stages because you'll have a very clear-cut picture of, oh, this team went undefeated. Oh, this team went, you know, they went four and one, this team went four and two, this team went four and three. So I just think it, it just makes the whole seeding issue also get eliminated. So it's just a really good proposed format. I mean, the Swiss format is, like I said, it's been using Counter-Strike since its inception. I don't know about the previous iterations of Counter-Strike, if it was used there, but it's just Swiss formats OP. It seems really good. Like, it definitely seems like something I would like. The only issue that I might have with it isn't even an issue for me specifically, but with that K-Drill tweet where we said there was a million best of ones and then suddenly some best of fives, I wonder, is this format not still mostly best of ones, though? Yeah, I, what I will say to that is I know that there are some like other variations of the Swiss format, which include best of threes. So... <clears throat> For example, apologies, like I said, if I'm not explaining this the greatest, but if you know how the Swiss format <coughs> excuse me, if you know if, if you know how the Swiss format works, once you are two zero or once you are zero two, that then becomes your promotion or elimination game where in CSGO, if you win three, you move on. If you lose three, you're out. And when it comes to elimination or promotion matches, it is played out in a best of three. So, for example, if the LCK and the LPL were undefeated until they had to play each other, the final game between them, between them to decide who's going to advance to the next stage would be a best of series. And, yeah. you know, I think obviously everyone wants as many best of fives as possible, but I wouldn't complain if there's best of threes in some yeah. sort of group stage and at least best of because, you know, it's a lot more... People would be a lot more happier with that. And so the idea is any elimination game or any clinching game to move on would rather, wouldn't be a best of one. The only issue that I don't think either one of us knows is whether the logistics as far as the scheduling works. Like if you can fit so many games into a specific day or, or whatever it be. Maybe you have to have more days of broadcast and maybe they don't want more days, right? Because with more games, then, then things change. That's the only issue that... I don't know, but if they can keep a, a, a broadcast that doesn't get too long, and if there's not too many days streamed, like what there was five days of, of this Rumble stage, which gets pretty long, right? When like most 
most leagues are used to just a weekend, Saturday, Sunday, or whatever it be. Um, I, I guess that would be my only concern. If you could fit it into the into the day normally, then I don't see them not doing that. Um, but again, we, we still don't know if uh, if Riot is even going to look at this format and go this way. I do think they recognize that something needs to change, though, because I feel like the, the community's sure been pretty vocal. The community's been pretty vocal about not liking what this tournament has been, especially in the early going in group stage. Um, but if they were to use this format, I hope that they do consider the, if it's an elimination game or a clinching game, now it's a best of three. That would be great, as long as the logistics work out. Yeah, because, I mean, we've mentioned this before, but the group stage of MSI, both this year and last year, they're just like a complete shit show that yeah. we pretty much know the outcome of what's going to happen after the first day. Um, you know, and maybe that's because we haven't seen some of these upsets that we had previously seen in different international events. Whether it was, I don't know, a team like Albus Knox Luna, season seven, Gigabyte or season six, Gigabyte Marines in season seven, or throw it way back. I think some I think Mark said it in his video, Kaboom, in twenty fourteen when they took a game off of Alliance. We haven't really seen any of those wildcard type upsets. You know, there have been very few and far between at international events since the those aforementioned ones. You know, other than Wang Vu versus G2, it feels like that's the only one that really pops to the top of my head in terms of a wildcard team taking, you know, significant games off of a major region would be Fong Vu or now Saigon against G2 because I think they're three and one against them now. Yeah. Uh, are we that's ready including, to move on to quick That's news? including MSI 2019, if people don't know what I'm referencing. Okay. Are we ready to move on to quick news? Yeah, we got some quick news. I mean, we're an NA fucking podcast after all, so we're always up on our NA shit. And some LCS moves. What are they, James? Yeah, first one, Dignitas. They don't have a top laner. They kicked Vake's God's ass out, but they have a new one now. Uh, Gamsu over from 100 Thieves Academy. Is he a new one, though? Well, he's not a new one. He's an oldie. He's a new old one. Yeah. Yeah. He played on Dignitas, and people don't remember back in season... Five and six, maybe only five. Yeah, it's been a long time. We know that. I know for sure he was there in season five. I don't remember about season six. So I have no idea how good or bad Gamsu is now. Like I have no idea, but it definitely is a good, feels good story. You know, like this guy he left, he went to go play Overwatch professionally, and then Overwatch kind of. I don't know if he quit because it sucks or if he just wasn't good enough. But anyways, he's back, and he had to make his climb back to the LCS level again. That's a cool little story. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. I remember when 100 Thieves signed him to their amateur team at the beginning of season 11. That's when he first came back to competitive league. And then when season 12 came around, he moved up to academy because Tenacity and Someday were doing like the, the six-man roster type thing. I thought originally that Gamsu was going to be the the play for 100 Thieves if Someday continues yeah. to perform like dog shit. I remember saying that. Yeah. Um. You know, credit to Someday, though. He's definitely stepped his game up, looks a lot better. And Tenacity is sort of going to be his replacement if it even comes to that at this point. So, Gamsu joining Dignitas, I I feel like I have a lot of blind faith in him because he actually was a pretty good top laner when he was in the league. Um, he was on Dignitas back in Season 5 when they were actually a pretty good team. They beat Cloud9 in playoffs. I think they made it to semifinals that year. Um, I think they finished fourth at the end of the day. Um, I don't remember, Like I said, I don't really remember what happened after that. I do know that he went to go play Overwatch back in like 2016, 2017. But I got faith in him. I'm going to put some blind faith in Gamsu and say that Dig will make playoffs next split. 
I hope so. I have no opinion because yeah, I don't. I think both of I us. Haven't. I think both of us agree that like we like the player on Dick. Like we like we like River. We like yeah. Bio. We like Neo. We, we both thought that Blue was like we thought he was gonna be dog shit. He's actually decent. So. But we both haven't watched Gamsu play in forever. Oh, I, so. I haven't watched a single league game. And in I know six you admitted years, but... you admitted that it's blind faith. You you did admit that. I'm yeah. just saying myself. I, oh, I yeah. don't know what to expect. Next up, we got Stixe also coming back to the league. He's gonna be the 80 carry for Golden Guardians, and at the same time, Golden Guardians is dropping Iconic, and then they're adding Acadian and Leader to Academy. Um, so here's the thing, like and. and the interesting thing is, and you know, I'll even throw the next one into the mix as well, because just to make my point here, Zven also got his green card. And so I guess what I'm saying here is we mentioned Gamsu's back. We mentioned Stixie's back. We mentioned Akkadian and Leader are back. And then we're dropping Iconic. Not that I say there's anything wrong with any of these moves, but we are seeing like we got EG where everyone's like, yeah, NA talent, look what they can do. And it's like, yeah, let's bring in these fresh new players. And then we're just getting all of these old players back again again not that there's anything wrong with it i obviously don't really give a shit about age but it does go against what the narrative has been like you would think with eg bringing in new talent that would kind of push teams to be like hey we should bring in new talent well golden guardians is getting rid of theirs with iconic right i thought that the long con would be iconic would make his way back it seems like golden guardians has kind of given up on the iconic play yeah, I just it was kind of funny that both Stixay and Acadian were coaches for Golden Guardians, and now they're both back to playing. Yeah, so I wonder if they themselves were kind of like playing a bit of a long con, like, "Hey, I'm gonna coach for this team," but also at the same time, if their academy players are shit or their LCS players are shit, I'm gonna slide in for a starting spot there. Um, the one weird thing, like you you mentioned it, but like hello? lighter. Wait, hello. Hello. Yeah, what's up? I lost you. Okay, sorry. Sorry. Apologies. Well, that's okay. I lost you real quick. I, anyways, you you said your point. I'm I'm I assume. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was about to say it's just weird that Lider is joining this team. It feels like this is a guy who's like somewhat been blackballed from the LEC. Am I saying uh, his name wrong? I thought it was Leader. It's not Leader. I don't know. Leader, Lider. Who the fuck cares? Oh, okay. It's LCS. We don't care. We don't. We don't call players by their proper names out here. True. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just weird that they signed him. He's like a known toxic player, hard to work with, kind of blackballed from the LEC. You know, he was on, what was he on? He was on Vitality, and then he was on Astralis, and was like also bad, and was bad on Vitality. And I don't know, dude. This guy just seems like a guy who shouldn't be playing pro. Like, I don't know. I didn't know that he had a toxic, um, what's the word? Uh, He's toxic. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's like a known thing. I, yeah, anyways, I didn't know that he was apparently toxic. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. You know my stance on that shit. Yeah, pretty sure that's the norm. I don't know. The thing is, I, I haven't personally seen anything of it, and sometimes that stuff does get blown out of proportion, so I'm willing to give benefit of the doubt until I see things myself that I don't personally like, so I don't know. I guess I'll give him a chance. Yep. Uh, You kind of mentioned already Sven getting his green card. We already know he's back role-swapping to support Cloud9, but back in their starting roster. But the interesting up... there, thing there is, though, the, hold on. So the interesting thing with Zven, though, is that that leaves Cloud9 with options for another import if someone doesn't work out, right? Which yep. Cloud9 has the money to sign another import if they ever needed one. So that's that's um, good, I guess. Yep. Uh, I don't even know who that would be because it's pretty unlikely that you're replacing uh, Fudge because it's, you know, it's pretty clear that he's... The They're sort not of... replacing Fudge. 
Yeah, I mean, I I think personally, it's still unlikely they're going to replace Blabber. I think unless Blabber suddenly turns into some complete dog shit jungler who can't like play anymore, they're going to keep with him because I still think that he's one of the best junglers domestically and is one who has the skill set to compete internationally. Um, I guess the only like place that that would really leave you know a import slot for would be Jensen if he doesn't work out. Because um, it does seem kind of unclear whether or not Jensen is going to be a permanent addition to Cloud9 or if he's just sort of coming back for this one split to make to make an, interna an international push for Cloud9 and sort of for Jensen to use that as leverage to get a long-term contract somewhere else. I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. As a C9 fan, I never wanted Jensen to leave in the first place. So I hope Jensen sticks around and I hope that this team is very good because I think this team can be very good. Although a lot of it is riding on Zven's role swap and Jensen coming back to pro play after not playing for half a year and fudge roll swapping back so there's a lot of moving parts with this cloud nine roster but i think it'll work okay. i hope it works yeah I, I hope so too i think it will i think they're going to be good but you never know lots of question marks yeah uh last up i think this was a team we were talking about a couple weeks ago immortals who had previously dropped zerse we didn't know what they were doing we were questioning what native junglers were still out there but there was one i totally i'll admit i forgot about this guy uh, Kenvi from 100 Thieves Academy is joining Immortals to be the starting jungler who has been a very hyped up prospect in the amateur mm -hmm. and academy scene for about two years now. And while I think that two years is quite a long time to be like getting like, oh, this is a really hype player who's supposed to be in LCS. And it's like two years later now, like this guy's still not in LCS, but he is now. Um, yep. So... Yeah, I'm actually excited. Yeah, we mentioned Golden Guardians bringing back a bunch of older players. Well, this is one where you got a newer player, right? Yeah, so I'm excited for him to join LCS. Unfortunately, I think he's probably going to be on one of the weaker teams, so he might not look very good. But once again, I hope that doesn't discourage Immortals or other LCS teams from continuing to pursue this player and get him on some good teams. Because yeah, all signs point to him being a competent LCS-level jungler. The thing is, and even though it's still like a rough situation when you're on a, a lesser team, if you do happen to look good on a weaker team, that really skyrockets oh, your for value, sure. right? So it's like feast or famine kind of thing yep. for as, as far as he's concerned for his uh, LCS debut. And then also they got lost. As yeah. we've mentioned, that was kind of rumored, but that's kind of been confirmed now. Not kind of, it's been confirmed now. So the lost deal is official, and so they're going to have... Revenge, Kenvi, Power of Evil, Lost, and who am I forgetting? Who's their support? Because Destiny's gone. Ignar. Oh, right. Right, 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 right. Yes, Ignar. Yep. Who actually, I think, should have been on a team as well. There was all this discussion that, like, Jensen should have been on a team, and this guy should have been on a team, and that guy should have been on a team. Well, I think Ignar was definitely one of them that should have been on a team as well, so that's good to see. Yep. Okay, that is it for this episode, guys. We thank you guys for tuning in on the regular. Uh, last reminder to hit the subscribe button. I know I reminded in the middle of the show, but I'm going to do it again. Just hit that uh, bang. Our next episode, J&T, should be normal time, right? I mean, we, we said We said that we might not be able to do a live stream. We'll see what comes of that. But should be on a regular, uh, regular release time since uh, the finals are on Sunday, which is like regular S LCS schedule, if you will. Yeah. So uh, you can expect the episode to go back to normal time now. And then maybe the following week we might not have an episode, but we'll have to wait and see what the future has for that. That is to be determined. Anything, any other thing you want, uh, things to say, JNT, anything to shout out or anything like that? Nope. I'm going to shout out Luis. Uh, we've been waiting for a while to shout out the guy been doing our thumbnails. Um, 
I don't care. He does an amazing job. I know you guys probably noticed a couple months ago that our thumbnails have changed. And there's a whole reason why we've been waiting to shout him out. But I, I can't wait anymore. He does such a good job. And so huge shout out to our boy uh, doing the thumbnails for us. He does a great job. I'm shouting him out. Yep. Um, okay, that is it. We'll see you guys next week. This has been episode 86 of the Clown Fiesta podcast. Take care of yourselves.